the Youth Workshop Podcast, episode four. I guess the key thing uh, for me is to be really intentional with your words. So we know, we know, Luke, don't we? Words have power to bring life, but they also have power to bring death. You bring the passion. We bring the knowledge. Learn from the most creative, innovative and experienced youth experts across the globe. Are you ready to take your youth ministry to the next level? If the answer is yes, you are in the right place. The Youth Workshop, the podcast. Here's your host, Luke White. Hello there listeners and welcome to another episode of the Youth Workshop podcast. I'm so glad to have you here with us today. And our featured guest today is none other than Gemma Dunning. Now Gemma Dunning works for Street Space Bournemouth. She's actually the founder of Street Space Bournemouth. They seek to enhance the personal, social and spiritual development of young people via a wide range of detached projects. Their flagship project is seeking to love young people in and around the triangle area of Bournemouth. And if you go to Gemma's personal website, you can see five statements that she makes about herself that I'm going to share with you now. Her family completes her. Personal growth is vital. She wants to change the world. Everyone has the right to thrive and creativity adds flavour. Gemma, take a moment and tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah, well, that um, sounds a bit odd when you hear someone else talking about you in that way. <laughs> Essentially, these things are just what motivate me and what drives me. Um, I've been in Bournemouth pretty much my whole life. I had a little season where I worked in Cornwall and lived in Cornwall, but I've been based here in Bournemouth. This is my home. I love it with a passionate heart and I'm just trying to outwork what it looks like to connect with children, young people and young adults who don't go to church, essentially. So people who wouldn't ever rock up at my church building. Mm. I'm, I'm also a part-time pastor of a mainstream Baptist church. Um, awesome. But I'm really keen to connect with those people who would never have anything to do with church and to just to see what it's already doing in and around these places and spaces and those people's lives and to just join in. Um, so we do all sorts of fun, crazy, beautiful, messy things uh, in order to love people, really. Give us a couple of examples of that. OK, well, we do something every Wednesday night uh, called Craftivism. So we have a craftivist group. and uh, Craftivism mixes craft and activism. And so it combines the two things together in order to do something um, reflective, so something that's slow-burning, takes time to do and develop, and then something that generates a message. So uh, in October and November last year, we're working on mini banners, so just a couple of inches square, cross-stitching, cross-stitching, cross-stitch is cool, um, cross-stitching messages and statistics around HIV and AIDS. And these banners got put up all around the triangle, which is like where we like to hang out, um, to on World AIDS Day to raise awareness that HIV and AIDS is still happening, is still there, it hasn't gone away, um, and that people need to be educated so that they don't die of ignorance. Um, we're still finding lots of young people who think it's fine because they take medication. HIV isn't something to be worried about. They don't need to use protection, so we're just keen. But the process of the two months to stitch, I mean, we made 50 banners. That was a lot across stitch. Wow. Um, yeah, and we meet in a bar, so we don't meet in church. Uh, to do that group, we meet in a cafe bar that has a license, and it means that a different set of people will join in with us 
than if we hosted it in church. Uh, so that's just one thing we do on a weekly basis. Do a lot of event stuff as well around different themes of where we are in the year. So um, in November, we hosted a transgender day of remembrance and um, hosted a candlelight vigil to remember those who died in the past year of anti-transgender violence. So we're just doing different things, responding to our community, drinking lots and lots of milkshakes with people <laughs> and hanging out. Sounds good, right? Sounds awesome. I'm going to have to pop down to Bournemouth myself and get involved. The sun shines here. Really? Is it, is, the, is it there all year round? Well, even today. So it is like two degrees, but the sun is shining. There was a beautiful sunrise this morning over the, the coast as I headed past the beach. Uh, wow. It's beautiful. Wow. Not wow. going to lie. And I'm here in my lovely dingy office um <laughs> in the cold and in the dark and in a couple of hours it will actually be dark oh bless you brother <laughs> <laughs> so um in this podcast as well as looking into your organization and what you do through your organization we're really interested in you as an individual um so i want to transition now and ask you what was the moment if you can think of a specific moment or time when you decided that you wanted to make a difference in the lives of young people gosh well, I think because I've always been involved in youth work for as long as I can remember. So I was one of those annoying kids at school who was always up for student council. Um, and I was head girl, believe it or not, because I'm, I'm not very smart and um, not very popular, really. But I made it to, made it to be head girl because I wanted to campaign to make a difference. And I've always been quite an activist. Right. So that just really transitioned. I um I wasn't from a Christian home, so I became a teen parent when I was 17. And then at that point decided that because I was living a life for another human, for my beautiful son, who is now 17 and off to uni in September. Wow. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. It's a proud moment to be sending him off. But um, at that point of having him, him being, being responsible for him and realising that you can pour into someone's life in order to make a change in the world, I kind of felt quite empowered by that. And so started out being a volunteer youth worker with an organisation at the time, back back in the 90s, called Millennium Volunteers. That It kind of existed. It was a statutory provision that existed nationally to equip young people to volunteer in their communities. And you got awards and there was big grand ceremonies and stuff when you'd done 100 hours or you did 200 hours. But I just started volunteering at a local youth work project that the council ran and saw how the, those youth workers imparted knowledge, not into just, you know, the, the good kids, but to all kids, regardless of what they were, what they'd been doing, where they were at. They just loved, loved, loved them. And that really motivated me. Um, street space, Bournemouth is quite specific. So it reaches, the flagship stuff reaches a specific community, which is the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community in Bournemouth. Mm -hmm. And the motivation to do that really came out from um, my sister. So uh, I'm one of five siblings and my youngest sister uh, is a lesbian, but we didn't know that at the time. And she was coming out to her friend and I walked in on the conversation and my sister didn't see me, but her friend saw me in the room. And when she said to my sister, have you told your sister this? She said, no, I haven't told her because she's religious and she'll hate me wow. and she'll disown me. And I thought, oh my goodness, my heart just broke. If my own flesh and blood family think as a Christian, I will hate them, which is such a strong word. 
I'll hate them and disown them, then what hope does my community that I live in, I said I've lived here all my life, mm -hmm. uh, what would they think about me and how can we change that story? So that's why Street Space Bournemouth exists, really, to change the story between the church and the community and to equip and enable people from all walks of life to have the right to thrive, because I believe that's true for everyone, regardless of anything that should discriminate them for the worldly point of view. I believe that God says, whoever so calls on my name is in the kingdom. So I'm excited by that. It's a good thing. I'm excited by your stories that you're sharing, to be honest, because you're really getting to those specific moments. And I'm there with you in the room as, you're, as you walk into the room as, and, and, and your sister... <laughs> your sister doesn't see you there i'm like wow what a moment what a transformative moment um and and it's, it's so interesting how one specific incident can create such an avalanche of consequences which is now street space bournemouth in effect and that is a really yeah. really powerful story it's been a big journey i'm not gonna lie like that moment kind of helped me it hurt i'm not gonna lie luke it mm. really hurt that she would think that of me having known me her whole life. She's my baby sister, so oh. you know, I was there when she was born, I was there changing her nappies, I was watching her toddle off to school, all of those things. And that's what she thought, that uh, her being gay and me being a Christian were just never going to mix, and I would hate her. And I think people really uh, use words powerfully to describe what they're really feeling. That, for her, was a big thing, hate. And as Christians, we're called to love, so... I think that should drive us to move forward. Wow. When I first uh, met you was at the Youth Work Conference last year where you was doing a presentation um, with Chris Kidd. Really interesting title, really colourful title. Is there space in your youth group for the rainbow? As you yeah. tackle that question and... What, what's the response you are you are getting from your average youth leader who's just, you know, there to do a job, maybe not thinking about these more difficult issues? What is the response you're getting from them when they are encountering kind of your presentations on this type of subject? Yeah, I think because the youth work spectrum is so broad. So you've got, especially at somewhere like the Youth Work Conference, you've got you know, 100 people in the room and you've probably got 100 different types of youth work happening. Some people are doing statutory-based provisions, so they're having to wrestle with some of the bigger, tougher questions because they're having to be ridiculously inclusive in the work they do in order to meet the statutory requirements. Others, others are very church-based context-based around what they do in their church and don't really even mix with other denominations, never yep. mind you know, the broader, wider world. Yep. So there's quite, there's quite a difference in how people react. Um, a lot of the time, I have, to, I, I have to be right back at basics and kind of say to people, you know, a lesbian is a girl who fancies only other girls because <laughs> most, most church-based youth workers in those contexts haven't encountered some of those wider aspects. Whereas, like I said, some of the statutory people working in statutory settings, even if they're Christians, mm -hmm. they're, used to, they're used to the language, they're used to being in places of tension. I call it muddy puddles. Right, I like that. The muddy puddles of life that happen, that uh, our churches often like to see a nice, clean, shiny young person. But for most young people, life is quite muddy 
and it's all right if you've got your wellies on but <laughs> if you don't then you you know you're going to be squelchy Yes, indeed. I, I love that analogy. I'm just seeing seeing these youth leaders squelching about in puddles of mud. See, it can be uncomfortable to be in this squelchy mm. stuff, but, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be there. I think it's really important that we do, even if our, if our context doesn't change at this point, we have no idea as youth workers where the spirit will take us. And, um, you know, I... I never imagined that I would be a a church pastor that's not something I had in my thought process 17 years ago when I started as a volunteer youth worker so you never know where you might need to wrestle with things a little bit more aggressively Um, but to just start people to take them through the journey most people want to learn I think that's the key thing youth workers in particular We want to learn how to love young people better and we want to learn how to love all types of young people. So I'm encouraged by that, Luke. It was a good response. It was good to be at Youth Mm -hmm. Conference. Excellent. Okay. Well, yeah, let's let's go a bit deeper into that. What is the biggest challenge you faced with your work with young people? What's the biggest challenge you faced? I think the the sense of that there is a famine of hope. And I mean that really seriously. I mean that uh, outside of church... Lots of the young people that I engage with, they are just stuck in a place where they can't see hope. Nobody around them can see hope. They're surrounded by teachers and educators and family where situations seem hopeless. And so if you're in that context, how can Jesus be transforming and life bringing and joy bringing when actually those around you haven't been transformed and are not life bringers um, it can seem for some young people, and it, this is quite extreme, but I really do mean this, that surviving is like the goal. The goal is to survive. And if you survive, that's amazing. But that's, I believe, that's not what God calls us to. I think he calls young people to thrive. And so how do we move young people from just thinking it's all right to survive? And as some young people, they don't even make it to surviving. So suicide rates among the LGBT community are massive. You know, we know about uh, depression. We know about self-harming rates. They're all on the increase. How do we get young people to look at the life of Jesus and see that that model is something that is joyful, is life-bringing and transformative when all around them is just despair and this sense of a famine of hope? It's tough and it takes a lot of love to love someone out of that a famine of hope it's interesting because i've been speaking to people recently about the news about what we fill our minds with you know the bbc news the radio whatever news outlet we we watch or listen to and of course the news very rarely does bring you good news the business is basically centered around things getting worse and worse and worse. And to be sure, there is a sense of that happening all around the world. So how do you then communicate that hope when the moment they leave your youth group, they are flooded by, we're all flooded by negative messages? It's crazy, right? And the reality is bad news fails. Yes. (laughs) You know... In our, even in our communities, people are only interested in hearing stories about bad stuff. If you try and promote a story of a young person 
making it to university or completing a set of exams or, you know, choosing to do good things, that doesn't sell in the same way. I bet you, if you offer to your local press two <laughs> stories, the story of a young person mugging someone or the story of a young person blessing someone, the story of the mugging will get printed. That's just how it works. And the difficulty is that I believe that there is a lot of hope out there, good stuff's happening. And part of our job really is to just signpost, navigate, spot it out, kind of shout and say to people, here it is, it's over here. Look at what it looks like. And then to try and get get people in the picture. I'm so with you, sister. That's what this podcast, that's what we're here to try and do. We're shining the light on the positive youth work that's going on and shining the light on the people who are making a difference. So I guess that's what we're trying to do here. And I hope that's how it's being received by the listeners. Um, let's move, let's change gears slightly and look at, look at the Bible, look at some scripture. Is Do you have a favorite yeah. piece of scripture that you lean on or that comforts you when things are going a bit off track? Yeah, I'm I, like, I love the Old Testament, Luke. Like, I love Jesus, right? And I love the stories of what he was up to and what was going on. But I love Old Testament because it just gives you some real gems. And I'm, my favorite, well, my favorite chapter is Isaiah 61. But in particular, for me, I love that. And I love that Jesus uses the first few verses of 61 to announce what he's about so that they're the listeners of that first time round, I kind of imagine him walking into the room and like laying it down like a smackdown. <laughs> Boom, this is what I'm about. Yeah. And then being really freaked out about it. But what I love about it is verse four. So verse four, Isaiah 61 verse four, where it says that it's the they wills. So we're talking here about the whole, the brokenhearted, the prisoners, all the things that Jesus says he's coming to do, to release the captives, to set people free, to heal the brokenhearted, to restore in people. It then says they will restore, renew and rebuild the cities. And that gives me massive hope that when I'm encountering a young person who might seem like, like they're a prisoner, they might seem like they're held captive in something, or they might seem like they're broken, it is that young person that has the power through Jesus to restore, rebuild and renew my community. And it's my job to harness that, to release it, to kind of encourage that out of them not for me to do it all for them, which I think is a different a different thing completely. And I just hold on to that. It's the brokenhearted, the prisoners, the captives, those who are deemed least who will restore, rebuild and renew. How encouraging is that, Luke? That's amazing. And not only is it amazing, it makes so much sense because there's this term that um, a friend of mine uses often, which is this idea of credible messengers, credible messengers. And it's this idea that if you want to speak to prisoners, you might get someone who is an ex-offender. Or if you want to speak to um, maybe people, young people who have been abused, you might get someone who was abused and has, has overcome um, the hurt of those situations. And it's, it's this idea right in the scripture that basically we all have some issues going on, but it's these people who have come through these issues which are going to be able to help those who are still in those issues. I think that's extremely powerful and makes so much sense. Thanks for sharing that text with us. That's awesome. Isaiah 61 verse 4. Love it, love it, love yeah, it. Yeah, like I said, I love 61. The whole chapter's brilliant, but in particular, that first four, the they wills, and I hold that intention all the time, especially when uh, youth work can be pretty tough, right, Luke? When it seems like... <laughs> 
oh, and it seems like you're not making a difference and nothing positive is changing or happening and you're, or you're not seeing the results, you have to hold on that, you know, we're not always going to see the results. Maybe someone else will see the results, but it will be those young people who have the ability to restore and renew our communities in a way we're not going to have, mate. Yep. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite scary, but, you know, it's for them. It's for them. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. It's that idea of, I, I mentioned it on my blog recently, it's that idea of planting trees that other people will enjoy the shade of. It's like we won't even, we won't possibly even be around for the repercussions and the, the result of the work we're doing now. Love it, love it, love it, love it. The next question I'm going to split in a bit because in your setting it works even better so the question typically is tell us your best piece of advice that you think could help youth workers just one thing that you've learned from your experience but I want to kind of split it in two ways so one from your kind of general youth work and then two a piece of advice for our leaders who are working specifically with the LGBT community or possibly are thinking that they may have young people in their setting who might be um, LGBT. Yeah, I think a general piece of advice is uh, to remember that you are a disciple. So you're not, it's not just you discipling others, but that you are a disciple and that your journey and learning process is ongoing till the day you die. And then I'm pretty sure there's probably a little bit of learning once you get in heaven too. But like, <laughs> it is a, it's a lifelong learning. It's not like you can go somewhere and do a course and boom, that's it. Everything you've ever needed is imparted into you mm -hmm. um it's just a, a long process so take opportunities do if degree and education is the way you're being called to do it love every moment of it say yes more than you say no um to things and just experience stuff to keep learning and then i guess specifically uh, if you think someone might be lgbt in your youth group or you are thinking about working with that specific community I guess the key thing uh, for me is to be really intentional with your words. So we know, we know, Luke, don't we? Words have power to bring life, but they also have power to bring death. Definitely. And sometimes, sometimes, brother, in the silence, when we don't say something, people will assume the worst. So I get this message so many times from youth workers where young people that have been in their care have been not felt that they've been able to tell them that they're LGBT or any other issue that might arise. They haven't been able to share it. And the youth worker's been heartbroken because they've said, well, I don't know why. Of course it would have been fine. I don't understand why they haven't come to me. And when we work it out, often the crux of it is that they haven't said anything so it's just that they haven't done it. They haven't said anything. So they haven't said, I'm against this or I'm against that. But they haven't said, I'm for this or I'm for that. And in the silence, particularly for young people who, you know, spend their life trying to navigate where they are in the world, they will assume the negative if there's no positive option offered. So, for example, I was um, chatting to a mum at Greenbelt this year and she was telling me that her son had come out to her, but that he'd actually known and wrestled with being gay for four years and really tormented himself for four years. And she said, I have no idea why, because we come to Greenbelt, which is kind of seen as quite a liberal thing to do. You know, we would we love him and now he knows we love him. But for this time, he couldn't he just didn't feel that way. I don't know what I did wrong. And when I said to her, did you ever tell him specifically 
It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, where you come from, I will always love you. And she said, well, no, I just thought I, thought I implied it. I thought everything I said and did was, would give that message. But in that silence of her not communicating, he assumed, like we said, because bad news sells, he assumed that it would all be negative. And all he'd seen was stories about young people being thrown out of their Christian homes, being uh, not being able to play in the worship band that they're in at church or... It's not, you know, not even for, for being practising gay, but even just for questioning whether they're gay or not. Those horror stories out there speak louder. So it's our job as youth workers, I think, to not be silent and to remind young people that God is there for whosoever calls on his name. And yes, holiness is a process, but we're all in that process. Gemma. Sorry, I'm a bit preacher. No. <laughs> Preach it, sister. Sorry. Preach it. It is so powerful what you're saying and so challenging what you're saying because, and I think what my listeners might be hearing is you are saying what we know to be true, that God loves everyone, but we actually have to believe that God loves everyone. Yeah. And Yeah. And that's tricky. Yeah, that is, that is so tricky because we we assume that we do believe this. You know, we know, of course, God came for everyone and God loves everyone. But do I have to love everyone? Do we have to love everyone? You know, it's it's such a massive challenge. How does a youth worker even begin to deal with that themselves? Because it's, it's their own issue that is... How can they deal with it within themselves to be able to then even vocalise that? It's such a big issue. And in reality, we are all, and this is a phrase that you're like, Luke, we are all exclusive in our inclusiveness. Mm. Like, that's just how we're created. So we we like to include others who we like, Mm -hmm. who we feel comfortable with. You know, that might look a little different. So I might have friends of maybe of a different faith. I've definitely got friends of different genders and of different uh, colours to me, but and I'm comfortable with that. But then when the rubber hits the road, when it's someone who I'm not so comfortable with. So, you know, what does it look like when someone who's been um, convicted of paedophilia rocks up in your church? Like, that's, as a mum, that's an issue that I struggle with. So my inclusion is exclusive at times because I struggle to love some people more than other people. But, and the difficulty is we've all got that. We just don't name it. Yeah. And we hide it. And we yeah. kind of like, oh, no, God is for me and people like me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, not, not for those people. And actually, you know, if you look at the New Testament, uh, particularly in the book of Acts, the guys are getting in trouble time and time again. They're getting in trouble because the Samaritans don't look like the Jewish believers. They're getting in trouble because Peter, bless him, eating with those who are unclean you know and the the jewish believers say peter what were you doing and he he has to wrestle with those stuff and i think we need to wrestle with it more openly and give people permission to identify where they're inclusive but actually where their inclusivity is exclusive and how they can love people as christ has loved us it's heavy man it's heavy it's is it's so heavy. <laughs> it is it's so... Isn't it brilliant? I think so. I think so. But it's that idea of, though, being able to admit to your... I don't know who to, but to to be able to vocalise that you don't have the answers or we don't have the answers. 
but then also still to vocalize that while I don't have the answer, you are not excluded while I search for the answer. Um, one of my one of my old friends, um, he's bless him, he's eighty years old. He <laughs> says sometimes, Gemma, you just have to love people as because Christ has loved them. If you can't love them because you love them, because <laughs> you don't connect with them, you've got a prejudice, there's something there. Sometimes you just have to be gracious enough to say, I'm going to love them because Christ has loved them. And that is reason enough, which is tricky. Love it. I think, yeah, we, yeah, I love it. That That is a beautiful parting piece of advice. Love them because Christ loved them. Awesome, awesome stuff. I'm enjoying this interview, Gemma. I really am. Good, um, I'm glad, <laughs> We've got a few questions left. We're going we're gonna to rattle on. So tell me, now be really honest, as you have been so far, what is the biggest mistake you have made in working with young people and what did you learn from it? Oh, man, I make so many mistakes pretty much on a daily basis. Um, and I, I've got a big thing about actually making mistakes because I think sometimes you need permission to make mistakes. And once you realise that you're just human, uh, every day we're just human, and so <laughs> we will make mistakes, it's all right. I think probably the most regular one I do is that um, stuff where we just give people a token view. Uh, so we allow them to do something to be token rather than to promote them and to encourage them so how many times have we been in church and we've seen a beautiful young person stand and read a prayer but in reality they haven't written that prayer it's been given to them by the youth worker and i've done that so many times because it's much easier that's the deal that that, that crunches it for me it's, it is a lot easier if i know what i want the young person to say for me to write it prepare it, give it to them, or tell them what to say. And in reality, that's not what we're called to do at all. No, we, we need the voices of those young people to speak for themselves. I think so often we take the platform for them, and we might tell their story, but in, as soon as we tell their story, we change the words, we change the language. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Completely, it, it, completely. And, and we really discredit and unvalidate the fact that they are beautifully and wonderfully made, that God is at work in their lives and that he has created them to be them by using their stories. I have a bit of a phrase, and some people hate this, but I refuse to pimp out the stories of young people. So when I speak, it's not for me to share the story of Jane or Tom, who you know I've been working with. It's for them to share their story. And you can do that as youth workers. You can create opportunities for young people to share their story. You can video it. Hey, look at what we're doing. We can podcast it, record it, and not filter it or edit it or change it. Because I think that's really important. I agree. I agree completely. And it's interesting because um, some of the churches that I visit, they attempt to include the young people by maybe giving them a piece of scripture to read. So that their input in the service is that they can read a bit of scripture. It's cool. It's, it's, it's better than nothing. But I think that next step is, as you say, to say, okay, why don't you pick the scripture? And why don't you tell us what it means to you? Because for me, one of the most powerful things that can happen is when young people can, when I hear young people to start talk about their faith, start to talk about their faith, start to say, you know, well, I believe God was up to this or God said this, or to me, that is, I feel like I've succeeded. (laughs) At that point, when the young person is confident enough to be able to say, 
well, you know, the preacher said this, or Luke, you preached there and you said this, but actually I think God was saying this. To me, that is the point where I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Hard so, though, yeah. right? Because hard, hard to hear someone saying, no, I'm not really sure about that, Luke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's, it, it, it just signifies that we've reached a turning point and signifies that without me or without any youth worker or youth leader, just with you, God, and, and the Bible or just you and God, you'll be perfectly fine, you know? And um, that, to me, is such a powerful turning point. So thank you for sharing that with us. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, so now we're going to move to the more administration side of things. You do a lot of things. You, you, you're heading up this organisation. You're a pastor. You're a lecturer. You're, um, you, have you finished your, your, post, your, um, your doctorate already or are you in the process of doing that as well? No, so I have done all the top modules for my master's, but I've been delaying, delaying my dissertation because I am a procrastinator and, um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a tricky one. I'm not academic. That's the irony. No it's, way. I'm totally not academic uh, at all. My friends and my family think it's quite a joke that I've, I'm doing it. And A, I've got a degree. And B, I've been doing this MA. Um, and so I really just love practice and spend more time with people than doing admin. But yeah, ask me some admin questions. All right. Okay. So in terms and, and a quick side note, I can definitely resonate with that. I've been putting off my dissertation on a couple of pieces of my master's for quite a while. Um, so yeah. I need to, yeah, yeah it's, it's a tricky one because... Yeah, it's a bit boring. But anyway, that's a whole other topic in itself. <laughs> so, right. So schedules and organisation for you with so much going on in your life, you know, and for a lot of our youth workers who are listening, there are people who are possibly volunteers. And so they've got a full time job um, or they're studying full time or, you know, they've got other things going on. And so do you have a tip or, or any advice you can give to help with organisation, with planning and with productivity? I think one of the key things is to really have this big sense. Uh, you shared my uh, values at the start uh, at this interview. And I think it's important to have a big sense of actually what you're about and what you're working forward to in order to know what not to do. So I know that sounds a bit odd to know what not to do, but you get bombarded with so many different things. Hey, do this. Hey, do that. What about this? Actually, if you know who you are and what you're called to do, things that don't meet those criteria, you can say legitimately, brilliant idea, my friend, but not for me. And the learning to say no and to know what is your thing and what isn't your thing, I think is really important because, you know, church, once you do one thing, they love you. You're in. So they'll ask you to do so many different things. Or with young people, you can end up doing being a jack of all trades. And actually, sometimes I think you just need to wrestle with what am I not going to do? Yep. And that's a key, especially if you're, you're a volunteer. You know, what what am I going to commit to and commit well? And, and that's that. So working out, all right, I might over the year, I might do one once a week in a group situation and I might do one residential and then that's what I'm going to do this year and I'm going to do it really well and all the other things that come along I'm just going to say no even if they seem like great opportunities 
I'm going to say no because this is my focus. Hard to do because actually you have to look inside and like so figure out those values about what is it that drives you and motivates you. But ultimately, I think it's a good thing for longevity. You know, if we want to be youth workers for a long time, and I believe that I'm called to youth ministry forever, um, <laughs> <laughs> forever and ever, then then you need to learn how to say no to things. That's so massive. So, That's massive. Sorry, carry on. I cut you. Massive. No, well, I was just going to say, like, about holidays and stuff. You know, I, I've got kids. It's really important that you book what works for your family in the diary and that you stick to that. So if you've got two weeks in the summer and you said this is going to be family time, even if sole survivor say come on the big top and speak from that main stage you've got to say yeah you've got got to say i'm really sorry my holiday time i've committed to that and you need to learn those skills and if god is calling you to that you know that big platform or that big event or that big thing he'll call you to it in another way in another time maybe there's it's just a not yet but if things are important to you like family time days off Try your hardest to stick to it and learn to say no. That is powerful advice. It's interesting because we have, um, next week on the show, we're going to have Rob Bell. And um, one of the things he says, yeah, one of the things he says, which I love is you, I have to get it right now. Um, You you say no to things because you said yes to something else. You know, it's this idea exactly how you've put it that, when you say no to something, it's remembering that, okay, no, I've said no to this because I've said yes to something else. I'm not, I'm not just saying no to be mean or I'm not cutting off my nose despite my face. Literally, I would love to, but I've said yes to this other stuff. Yeah, so it's really, it's a different kind of way of thinking about it rather than constantly thinking, because you can think, oh, I'm saying no to so many things, so many opportunities. Yeah, it's tricky. And like I said, sometimes those and those big platform things come along and you think, oh, this is my one shot. But if you've committed to something else, you've got to stick with it. 100%. Okay, Gemma. All right. Now we've got a couple more questions. We're going to give, try and give it a minute for e- a minute answer for each one. We're going to try our best. Um, right, let's try. Let's try. What's the best book or resource? And I know you read a lot, so this might be hard for you. What's the best book or resource you have read on leading young people that you could re- recommend to our pioneers? Oh, okay. So it's really hard to give you one. Uh, I'm probably going to go with Here Be Dragons by Richard Passmore. Here Be Dragons. Here you be know, dragons. like the old English. Okay. Here Be Dragons mm-hmm. uh, by Richard Passmore. And um, James Ballantyne does some writing in that too. It's, it comes from uh, the street-based community of practice that Frontier Youth Trust have. And it just talks brilliantly about... Um, how you can do some detached youth work with young people. It gives some stories and shares some practical advice. And uh, it's just brilliant. It's a really good read from practitioners. And that's what I want to read from. I want to read from people who are living it and working it out and why they're wrestling. It also talks brilliantly about symbiotic youth work, this sense of it's not for me to impart to young people, like they're a vessel to be filled. But actually, I've got a lot that to learn from them, and they've got stuff to give to me. It's a mutuality, which I really love. Love that, love that, love that. Oh, if we had more time, I'd give you an example of working with a Muslim young boy who completely shook my faith in a positive way. But we don't have time for that. Okay, next, next, next question. Um, well, this is more an opportunity for you to paint a vision 
a dream for the future of young people that you have? If you could have the future could look any way you could choose, what would the future look like for our young people up and down the country? Uh, my hope, my heart, is that young people see, feel and know that the church is a safe place, that they, it becomes the refuge of old, as it was, the place where people know that if you're in need, if you're sad, if you're upset, if you're happy and you've got something to share, that that is the place where you can return to, be included and share in the adventure. I think for too many young people, the doors to church have been shut for a long time, and I would love to see just a sense of the doors flung wide open and young people knowing that that is the cool, safe, happening place for things to, to go to, regardless of whatever's going on in their life. Love it, love it. And finally, Gemma, give your organisation one last great big plug, the best place to find <laughs> out more information about you, and then one last great piece of advice. Oh, OK. This is really hard because I don't, like, sell the brand as such. I'm not sell very it, good at Sell it, sell it, sell it, sell it, sell it. Yeah, I guess our stuff's really quite specific to Bournemouth, but Street Space is a national network. There are 57 different street spaces all across the country, all doing work with young people who are marginalised, um, and Street Space is a model of how we work. You can find out more information by looking at Frontier Youth Trust, fyt.org.uk, or by Google searching street space. Uh, there are like 57 different ones. So they all look slightly different, but the heart is really the same. And um, what we do at Street Space Bournemouth, you can find out at streetspacebournemouth.org, or you can follow us on Twitter at streetspacebomo. So street space, all one word, and then B-O-M-O, uh, and you can just join in with what we're doing and see if you can kind of steal the best bits, really, I guess, and replicate them where you are. That would be cool. Um, and I guess uh, I blog uh, a little bit, not too much, um, but I blog a little bit about some of the bizarre adventures of my life at Gemma Dunning dot com so you can find out some stories there at the moment i'm trying to cheerlead once a week for a great youth worker or a pioneer or a creative uh, so i'm sharing with the world 52 one a week of my friends who inspire challenge and encourage me and give me hope so that's a good thing to do to cheerlead others and um, i guess a bit of advice to cheerlead others, that is a good way to end it, to uh, be able to see good qualities that you would like for yourselves in others and then ask them to help you to work that out, but also to celebrate every single thing that you can celebrate. Be people's cheerleaders. Encourage them to be their own cheerleader when you can't be with them because, as we've talked about, Luke, life can be depressing and sad and bad news sells greater. And if we can bring hope and be cheerleading the positive stuff, then I think we will make a difference. And we definitely will be attractive to those around us because we will offer something that really is light and joy and goodness that others will want to be part of and that's really really attractive i think to people who have a famine of hope Gemma, excellent and in time 
Thank you so much for your interview today. Thanks for having me. We just want to salute you and big you up for all the excellent work you're doing. And we pray that you continue to do that. You continue to go in the strength that God has given you. God bless you. And hopefully we'll speak again soon. Hopefully, Luke. It's been brilliant. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks, Gemma. God bless. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Youth Workshop. Why not head on over to www.theyouthworkshop.com and sign up for more advice, tips and everything you need to help you in your role as a youth leader. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Until next time, create an impact with your influence.